Our first scripture reading this morning is taken from the book of Romans. I'll be reading from chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. Again, I'm reading from the book of Romans, chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Nothing can separate us, nothing can separate us, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, and nothing separate us nothing can separate us nothing can separate us from the love of Christ not trouble not darkness not hardship not any persecution we may face and not demons not death Nothing in creation can come between God's children and the hand of grace. Nothing can separate us. Nothing can separate us. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing can separate us. Nothing separate us nothing can separate us from the love of Christ first John chapter 2 verses 1 and 2 my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, 
Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Yes, indeed. The message today centers around that. Because most of you are in the upper years, I can use an illustration that probably uh, you will remember. The millennials would know nothing about this, but that's okay. <clears throat> if the glove doesn't fit, you must acquit. Who said that? Who said that? Johnny Cochran at the O.J. Simpson trial. How many of you watched a good portion of that? I did, totally intrigued by that whole experience. But I ask you, whatever happened to Marsha Clark? Whatever happened to Chris Darden? Whatever happened uh, to Robert Shapiro? Johnny Cochran? With the exception of uh, Shapiro, you hear nothing about the rest of them, and if you remember correctly and pick it up, Robert Shapiro now is shifted into estate planning and he is the creator in the face of LegalZoom.com. So he's still around. Seems to me I read somewhere not too long ago that Johnny Cochran passed away, but don't hold me to that. But the rest of them, they're off the scene. You don't hear much about them. If you were guilty of murder of those four attorneys, uh, two for the defense, two for the prosecution, who would you want to defend you? Any thought? Who would you want if you had to pick one of the four? I suppose I'd pick Johnny Cochran because he came up with the best defense of all, even though I don't think it held water, but that's neither here nor there. But if I had the choice, the real choice of who I wanted to defend me to serve as my attorney, in my trial before God, I would want Jesus Christ to be my attorney, just because of what we finished reading here. I would want him, but the real blessing is I already have him. He's already been engaged. He's on retainer, as it were. He is my attorney right now, in the past, and in the future to come. If there's a plea to be made on my behalf before God the Father, my advocate Jesus Christ will plead it for me. And guess what? I'll be pardoned. I know that ahead of time because the scripture promises that. What is the definition of pardon? Pardon is defined as the exemption of a convicted person from the penalties of an offense of crime by the power of the executor of the laws. I'm sure you'll remember that when you go home today. A pardon doesn't mean we're innocent. It means that we will be released from the penalty of our guilt. We will be treated as if we are innocent. Jesus died for us and he bore the penalty of our guilt. So pardon releases us from the penalty. Uh, I had a rather discouraging example of that just a couple weeks ago. Uh, I was uh, 
getting ready to return here from uh, responsibility in the Central Valley. I was at the Oakland uh, car rental agency next to the airport, all kinds of car rentals there. You go in and find the one that you are, drove the car in, turned it in. Uh, I beg your pardon, I was picking up, yeah, I was picking up the car. Uh, drove in on the bus, got the car. When you drive out of that place, you drive out here depending on which car rental you have and then you turn left and then you turn right and then you turn left and stop here, stop there till you get out to the real road where you start your, your trip. So I drove, I got the car, drove in, drove left, turn right, et cetera, et cetera. Came to that last stop sign where you have to turn left, a little section to get out to the road. And I looked over on the side and here was a car pulled over with a motorcycle cop behind him, the red and blue lights flashing, giving that fellow a ticket. Okay, I turned and I drove along out to the traffic light to get on the road and all of a sudden I found a red and blue light in my mirror and there was another motorcycle cop pulling me over and he came around and he said, hmm, you didn't stop at that last stop sign. You rolled through it about five miles an hour. I couldn't argue that. I was so busy looking at that car over there I didn't come to a complete stop. So I got the ticket. Uh, one of these days, soon, I'll get a letter from the judge up there, or the court or whatever, telling me how much it is, send the money in. And it will also say something on the back about being able to go to uh, a traffic court. What do they call it? Tra traffic court? Okay. And if I read it correctly, if I go to that traffic court, Instead of having that on my record for the next three years, it will not be on my record. That's exactly what we're talking about here. I will not be released from the penalty of that offense, but it will not be on my record. It will be, I'll be released from that. It's as if I was innocent as far as my record is concerned, which was great embarrassment. I've only had two tickets in my life and the last one was 50 years ago. That's five zero years ago. So, okay, fine. I will not receive that on my record even though I have to pay the penalty. Jesus paid the penalty and the record is clear. It is gone. It's not just a click on a database somewhere, it is gone as far as the relationship with him is concerned. When Jesus was preparing his disciples for his departure, he promised then to not leave them alone. He said he would pray for the Father, to the Father, and who would give them a comforter, a counselor, a helper. Uh, the word that's translated comforter in the King James Version, a counselor in the more modern versions, is a word from which we derive the term paraclete. Paraclete means an advisor, uh, an advocate, an intercessor. The language of the first century, that term paraclete was someone who was called in, who was summoned to render a service. Uh, in this case, the person was called in as an advocate, counselor, consoler, and comforter. So that's the two basic roles of the paraclete that Jesus promised to advocate for us and also to provide comfort and to provide consolation where necessary. 
Jesus does the advocating, the Holy Spirit does the comforting. So we have a paraclete using two persons of the Trinity. Uh, today I gave you the full outline on the back. You're welcome to fill in the uh, spaces there. First thing, the paraclete defends us. The paraclete is our advocate. So I asked the question, well, he defends us from whom? Well, he defends us from our enemy, the accuser. Satan, the accuser, made accusations about God's children to God day and night. That's what we read in Revelation chapter 12. Satan stood before God accusing Job of indiscretions which were not correct. Satan tempted Adam and Eve. Satan even tested Jesus in the wilderness. The paraclete frees us from the enemy, capital E enemy, Satan himself. And secondly, he frees us from our human enemies. We all have them. Some are more seen than others. The passage in the book of Psalms, Psalm 25, says as follows. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart have multiplied. Free me from my anguish. Look upon my affliction and my distress and take away all my sins. See how my enemies have increased and how fiercely they hate me. Guard my life and rescue me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness protect me, because my hope is in you. And Matthew chapter 5 says, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. So we all have enemies. Maybe not recognize them all, but we have people that do not care for our best interests. And thirdly, we need to be free from ourselves. And you've heard the phrase, we are our own worst enemy. And in many cases, that is the case. The paraclete also defends us to whom he takes our case, he represents us before the judge, God the Father. And I read you the passage from 1 John chapter 2. Jesus Christ is the one who does that. He is our defense attorney. He is the righteous one. He speaks to the Father in our defense. The earlier portion that Glenn read for us in the book of Romans chapter 8. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Jesus Christ, who died more than that, who was raised to life, he is at the right hand of God, also interceding for us. And the passage in Colossians, you can check that if you choose to at a later time. All of this says, we have an advocate. We have an attorney. Uh, he's on retainer, and that retainer is fully adequate to meet all of our expenses. The argument that Jesus makes before God, as it were, is yes, Van Elliot is guilty, but the penalty has been fully paid by his own death for us. The ultimate traffic court, the penalty is paid and it's wiped off the record. 
So he defends us, our paraclete does. Secondly, he supports us. He is our counselor, he is our encourager. It's not the primary use of the word in the New Testament, but it's a very important secondary use. It's used in the sense of counsel, comfort, console. Unfortunately, today we tend to make it the primary or the only use. One of the senses in which the paraclete supports us is when we are faced with great sorrow, great distress. There are some in our midst right now who need the strength of that paraclete at the time of great sorrow and great distress. You know, some paracletes aren't worth having. You remember the book of Job? You remember his three friends that came alongside to help him to be a paraclete for Job? Well, <laughs> Job says in chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, I have heard many things like this before. You are all pathetic at comforting me. I don't want a paraclete that's pathetic in providing comfort. The comfort that comes from the paraclete appointed by God is different. Isaiah chapter 40, let me read this section, verses 1 through 5. And those of you who are familiar with the Messiah and even took the course here a little bit ago, you can hum along as I say the words because you'll immediately bring it to your mind. Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, says your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all the flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. So one of the senses senses where the paraclete supports us is when we're faced with sorrow, trouble, distress. Second sense uh, is when the paraclete supports us, when the Holy Spirit encourages us, when we, fail un when we feel unable to deal with the issues of life. And Romans 8, 26 and 27 says, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. There are times when we just feel helpless, unable, without power, put down, whatever, however we want to describe it, that's when the paraclete Holy Spirit comes alongside and gives us the strength. It would be nice if it happened automatically, but sometimes we just have to ask for it. Not that he's not willing to give it, but we have to make ourselves available to the Holy Spirit to provide that strength and not have the, I can do it myself, I'll tough it out, I'll work through it attitude. Uh, that won't get us anywhere. Are you feeling at wit's end? 
God's paraclete is willing and ready to step in at any point and help us in the rough places in life. And then we have the, have the third sense in which the paraclete supports us, and that's when the Holy Spirit counsels us as to the truth of the teachings of Jesus and the falsehoods that permeate the world seen today. That's what's used uh, in John chapter 14, 15, and 16 when Jesus is giving his disciples that extended preparation for his absence. Jesus is saying, after I leave, God's going to send you a counselor who will lead you in all truth. So we come to a conclusion. What does it mean when a pastor comes to a conclusion? Nothing. We have a God who cares. Gods of other major religions don't fit this at all. They don't have that personal element to it. They're not there for us individually. They're there in different ways, supposedly. We have a God who cares about us personally, individually, to the point where he gave his own son, who didn't deserve it without sin, on our behalf. He comes alongside us in the times of greatest distress. Think of the time uh, with the death of Lazarus and uh, think of the time with Mary at the tomb. Think of the time with Mary at the cross. Thinking of the healing of the blind man, which we talked about just a few weeks ago. Think of uh, Elijah. Think of Job. Think of the widow of Nain. So many people in Scripture where God comes alongside in the time of deepest distress to provide the health and support that we need. In Jesus, we have a God who experienced the totality of human experience, except without sin. He understood sorrow. He understood discouragement. He understood betrayal. He understood all of the things that we collectively could even begin to experience. So we have a God that understands. We also have a God that defends us. Nothing can breach that relationship between his child and himself. Jesus stands right there. He is the attorney pleading our case. He is the one that deals with us and the accuser, and he wins every time. So what should we do? We need to call upon him. We need to call him upon him in the times of need. Matthew 11:28 through 30 says, "Come to me, all you all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light." I expect that, well, I expect, I know, based upon today's circumstances, I know that there's some who are dealing with a heavy burden right now. So perhaps these words uh, can be helpful. Perhaps the thought that Jesus represents us before the Father with regard to our sin and the Holy Spirit represents us to the Father with regard to our personal needs Perhaps that's what you need to hear today. And perhaps that's what you need to simply say, thank you, Lord. Do what you need to do 
because I'm not able to do it. He is the one that provides the support in our time of need. Join me in prayer. Father, you have offered us everything. You have done everything for us. You have met our needs, the most basic needs in our life. And I thank you for it. Folks in this congregation, thank you for it. We are grateful for all the ways that you provide for us. But we also know from experience that we need to receive it. We need to be open for it. We need to ask you for it. You're ready and willing to give, but you can't force these things on us. So help us to have receptive hearts when we have these times of greatest need. Speak to us and let us depend upon you even as you want us to do just that. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.